You're listening to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I'm your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. In this show, we explore Bella Figura, the art of beautifying all facets of your life, with a focus on heritage as a means to do so. In each episode, I talk to designers, writers, fashion bloggers, healers, and others from various ethnic backgrounds about what I call the holy, the elemental, and the majesty, their culture's spiritual style, its principal values, and their lineage and family stories, all in a straight talk manner with minimal woo-woo. Join me in spiritual conversations for the rest of us. Your heritage is your superpower. Learn how to wield it. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. So I'm pretty excited that this is happening. Uh, episode one is happening. Um, this this has been a, a project in the works, but we are ready to roll, and we are rolling out with a terrific first episode um, before I get into telling you a little bit about my guest, I do want to just kind of make a note here that I am recording this intro during self-quarantine, during uh, the coronavirus outbreak. However, the episode was recorded before any of this happened, so a solid couple months back. And uh, because of that, you'll notice that we don't mention it because it wasn't a thing yet. I just want to flag that. But with that said, I think you'll find that the things we do talk about are pretty pertinent right now. They are timeless and they are these tools, these ideas, these, you know, spiritual modes that we need uh, at a time like this where, where we really need to draw on everything that we can to stay calm and stay faithful and hopeful and, you know, kind of do what we need to do to get through this time. So uh, just that note and the next um, several episodes as well uh, were also recorded before the outbreak. So I'll note that in the intro to each one of them, but it definitely uh, still makes for a great listen. So let's jump in here and get going. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my guest who is a dynamic, wonderful person. Her name is Mary Beth Bonfio. Her dynamic and varied varied work is, is really not simple to summarize. She's a writer. She's a writing instructor and guide, an intuitive, a midwife, and a folk root worker dedicated to exploring the ancient wisdom of her Sicilian heritage. Her Radici Siciliani gatherings, which attendees have described as, quote, not a vacation, but a pilgrimage and a rite of passage and a week-long ritual. Not bad. <laughs> They take people to remote and traditional areas of Sicily to explore ancient folkway practices, such as tarot cards, ancient recipes, traditional dance, and storytelling, cheese making, basket weaving, as well as creating a space for attendees to explore their own ancestral hearing. Mary Beth is originally from upstate New York, but she lives in Portland, Oregon, currently with her three daughters and longtime husband. So Mary Beth is a force. I feel like that's the best way to describe her. She's one of those people who, you know, like if I, I think I'm deep, 
her presence just kind of checks me like, oh, wait, no, I'm just standing in the baby pool and there's Mary Beth swimming out in the ocean about to touch the moon. (laughs) She has a loyal following and they turn to her just for that, for that depth, for the fact that she says what she feels loudly and directly. And by loudly, I mean unapologetically. And it's a beautiful thing. So without further ado, everyone... Let's dive in to our conversation. Mary Beth. Hi. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I am great. Thank you. I'm so happy to be finally on here talking with you. I know. We um, were just talking off mic about how we've been talking about your coming on the show, this show, Bella Figura, but also the Italian American podcast for like about a year. It really has been. It really it's has been. Taking us a while to make it happen. And most of that, I have to confess, was me because I was pregnant and then I was really not doing any of the shows for a while, et cetera. But when I felt like I could get back into the swing of things and knew I really wanted to get the ball rolling with Bella Figura, I called you and I said, Will you take the plunge with me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%. And so you said happy yes. to be plunging with you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, we just were talking again off mic about uh, the morning I had with my three-month-old son and he kind of like testing my ability to uh, straddle both worlds of motherhood and still being a creative person and doing projects like this. And you're a mother of three, so you completely mm-hmm. understand, which is nice. Totally, <laughs> totally understand. But we're rolling now and we're ready to go. So I'm really excited to speak with you, but also to introduce you to our audience. Your work came across my desk because you actually had reached out to us a while ago at the Italian American podcast. And I checked out your website and literally my first reaction was, who is this? What is she doing? This is so interesting to me. You know, it kind of hit all, all my bells and whistles and, um, the Bella Figura show, this show really came out of a desire to continue having some of the discussions that I was having on the Italian American podcast that were just more specific to my interests. You know, Anthony would usually be along for the ride, but things like spirituality, dreams, healing, ancient practices are just more of my interest. And the audience really, really loves hearing about these things. So whenever I did a show like that, I would just, I noticed I would get such a great response. So Bella Figura is kind of a spinoff that will just really focus more on those things. With that said, you're the perfect person to start here on our first episode because you are doing that kind of work and you're doing it with a focus on your Sicilian heritage. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. to start, why don't you tell me and our listeners a little bit about your cultural background? I mean, where are your people from? Yeah. So on my father's side, my nonna I was born in Sicily. Uh, she was born in Marianopoli. And my nono was born in Messina in a small village called Tutrici. And through a lot of ancestral work and like kind of uncovering mysteries, we found out that my nono's mother was actually from Campania, from Centola. And so I didn't know that. We thought that there was many, many generations of Sicilian on my father's side only. And we found out that for some mysterious reason, 
which we're uncovering. <laughs> that I have some some campagna in me. And on my mother's side, her father was born, my grandpa was born in Piemonte in a small village called Vinaus, so northern. And her mother was born in Poland. So I've got about 75% Italian, Sicilian, and Polish, in which I have not found a lot out about because Italian, the Italian is so strong. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, it just takes over everything. It does. And, and my story is a little bit interesting because my grandparents all immigrated in the turn of the century. So we're turn of the century, like immigrant family. My mother and father had me, I'm the youngest of seven children and had me really late in life, like quote unquote, really late in life for the seven, 1970s. They were in their forties. I never met any of my I never met any of my grandparents except my mother's father, my grandfather Emilio, who was Piemontese. So it was always this mystery, the southern, the Sud Italian and Sicilian ancestry. Well, my my father carried it really strongly, and I had you know old you know Zias that were alive for a while. It was always this mystery to me. So that part of me is just always called so deeply since I was a child. Like, what is this? And who am I? And it's, it's been big for me in my life. Hence, I totally understand kind of my that. life's work. Yes, of course. It's such an attraction. And I think with some of the aspects that you focus on, there's so much mystery, even, even mm-hmm. when you're schooled in it, right? Even when you're raised in it, it's by its nature, it's mystery. And so it's even Absolutely. more attractive. It is. It makes it even more attractive because there's so many things and practices that you, like, I remember as a child, like, seriously, as a child, my sister and I were talking, and then probably, like, the first, I mean, 10 years of my life, I do not think anybody entered my home that was not Southern Italian. Yeah. Like, the community was so tight, and so there was all of this stuff, and I was part of it, and I witnessed it. And then assimilation kind of came in a lot more like in the eighties. And then, you know, there's kind of everything sort of dissipated. People started dying. That's what happened. And then next generations did not take it on as much. And so I like, I had this sort of understanding or had these teachings around me, but they kind of, I I don't want to say died. They just sort of dissipated. Yeah. They went Yes. And so even more mystery then, right? It's kind of like, while it was going on, you have no idea, like the family down the street, <laughs> the Swedish people down the street did not have this happening in their house. <laughs> people were not coming and like anointing my ne- my, you know, their necks with oils. Right. Like, <laughs> so, Where did you grow up, Mary Beth? And so I grew up uh, south of Buffalo in New York, oh, okay. um, small town that really they came there because there was factory work. And there was land because they were mostly, you know, they were rural people and they wanted land to grow food on. And so there was factory work. So they had work and they had some space to grow food after they came through Ellis Island. That's where they headed. So Western New York, I say I'm a New Yorker, but then I have to say upstate and then I have to say, well, Western upstate. It's a different. So different. I love Buffalo. I actually go up there often for work for my day job and just a wonderful community of Italian Americans up there, even it, still it today. Really is. It really is. It's a mm-hmm. strong, it's a strong community. It's, I love it too. If it wasn't so freezing cold, I'd be there. <laughs> uh, right. It, it is. It's definitely freezing cold up there for a lot longer than it is, for instance, where I am right now, which is downstate near the city. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned 
the period of assimilation, and which is a whole other topic that we may or may not get into, but you know, the next time you're on the show, we will. I mean, it's so deep, and I could go on and on about that. So I, I completely understand what you mean. Did you go through a period of kind of rejection? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Talk about that a little I bit. I did. I feel like that's very natural. Mm-hmm. I really did. Yeah. And it's hard. It's not even rejection. And maybe it was, but I think that once there wasn't that really, really tight community of elders around, the spirituality really stayed. And I never really rejected the spirituality. I grew up in a really spiritual household. I had that I, and I always really liked, I was born into that, right? Like that was kind of my thing. And I never really rejected that, but some of the other traditional stuff I did, some of the foods, you Mm. know, I was like, I can't eat this. I can't, you know, like this is it like that. For instance, even I think I broke my father's heart, even my wedding. Like I did not, I chose not to get married in a church. I chose to get married outside. He wanted the big, I mean, my brothers and sisters' weddings. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of people were there, you know? And I was like, no, I'm having a small wedding, things Mm -hmm. like that. And I will look back, I look back now and I do regret a lot of that. And even just some of the cultural stuff too, just really kind of wanting to fit in more. I mean, there were some, there was definitely some in my middle school years being made fun of for my culture. And so really rejecting it in that way. Like I wanted to be, I mean, I'm white passing person, but I wanted to whiten myself up. I wanted to not be from this weird Sicilian family. Yeah. You wanted not to smell like bacala when you walked out yeah. of the house and <laughs> sandwiches in my lunch, you know, right. like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you just want maybe like a family that was a little quieter, a little yeah. more oh, yeah, well-behaved. Well, like having people come over the house and be like, no one can yell. We cannot <laughs> yell. And then ironically, right, the years pass and those are the very things that you miss and long for. Oh, so much, so much. Mm-hmm. And my children to be raised around it, like that Absolutely. is just like, oh, I wish they had this, this upbringing where there was a community of people taking care of me. There was, it wasn't just my mother and my father. There were aunties everywhere. There was Zia's everywhere and cousins everywhere. And you know, I took off and went out West. So that was there. And that's why it's really so important for me to somehow rebuild. The reclamation of that culture was really important. And the rebuilding for myself, for my daughters, I want them to know that they come from somewhere, that they have something that has really, really deeply beautiful and connective ways and delicious, not just the delicious food, but like lush spiritual world and where we were brought up to take care of each other. That is so important to me. Like we take care of each other. And in this culture, I think for the most part, people just take care of themselves and we're so disconnected from each other in that, that immigrant village lifestyle. And so I want them to know that regardless of who they are, who they're around, this is who we, these are the people we are. We take care of each other. So that's a big part of why I've jumped headfirst in, yeah, in what I do. And since the nature of this show is really the idea that your heritage is your superpower, is this thing that you have that can give you so much, why do you feel it's so important to have your daughters learn all that? I think it, it's just so funny. I know it's a big question. It is a big question and there's so so many layers to it, but I was in a conversation with one of my best friends the other day and, you know, we're talking about how it wasn't always easy. 
growing up this way, right? Like there's a lot of different aspects that aren't easy. There's not a lot of fitting in. It can, it can be hard. I mean, my father grew up really poor, you know, it was very, it was, it was hard. It was hard. He was born in the depression. His mom had a lot of kids and his dad had just died. So there was a lot of, you know, it was, there's a lot of struggle. And I was talking to my best friend about it and she's, this is so amazing. The one thing that like was such a struggle in, in your world growing up is like the one thing that is giving you so many gifts right now is like going to Sicily and being part of like Sicilian communities right now. And feeling like it's that part that has like almost pulled me up out of like the muck of like, mm. and has brought me like so, so many gifts. And so, and also that's one layer. Another layer is there is a sense of like fiery passion and compassionate and creative and of energy around like this culture being my superpower. Mm-hmm. It has made me like a very bold and truthful person. I, I truly, really point exactly to that. Like that is, is in my blood. That's in my blood to be like truthful and real and honest and like caring more about like being creative and getting people together than like any of like the logistical things that I feel like it sort of leaves behind. Like, oh yeah, we're going to have 20 people over for dinner. Don't worry how it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. Like we're just going to do it. We're going to dish the food out. So what we, you know, don't have any food in the fridge right now. We're going to figure it out. We've, you know, we've, we've got some things. We have some eggplant. It's fine. We can do this. And like, just that kind of thing. Like we could just like that is a superpower for me that I directly point to that culture. And I thought maybe it was in my mind. It maybe it was just like my family, but then the more time I spent in Italy and Sicily, I realized that this is their way. This is, is the way. And that I think is, that is like such a, an amazing superpower to have, especially now in these times, like man, to just show up and just be like, take risk. And that's when my father always took risks. We take risks. And that is what I want my, I want my daughters to know that there's not a box that they have to kind of fit inside of. That's not how we do things. That's not the Sicilian way. That's not the way we do things. We do things out of love, out of respect, out of passion and out of taking care of each other. Beautiful. Uh, You know, it really, in, it's a day and age where everybody is trying to figure out who they are. And for me, of course, I've have, I have my own story of, you know, trying to figure out who I am. I mean, you're still kind of doing that. You're a little older, you got a better sense of it, of course. But for me, my heritage was always a touchstone. Definitely had similar experiences where you kind of go into other things and you're not as focused on it. But in this world, everyone's trying to figure out who they are. To me, your heritage is this just treasure chest where you can start. And like you said, you, you just kind of turned back to, I'm Sicilian. It's in my blood. This is how we do things. And suddenly from that jumping off point, you can unpack so much about Mm -hmm. how you are going to live in this world? What are your values? What's your compass? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked so much on, on the uh, Italian American podcast about these, this idea of how do you keep traditions alive and it's work. And I think for what you just said about having people over and not worrying about it, that is not an American idea, right? It's, there's a one, a lot of beautiful American ideals and values, but what you just described is not one of them. And if you want to live that way, you can remember where you come from. And that gives you the energy to have 20 people over and whip something up to eat when you probably otherwise would not have it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an inspiration to live the way you want to live. It really is. It really is an inspiration to live the way you want to live. And like keeping 
traditions alive. I think it, it's not easy. It's actually, it's so much work. And I wonder, I know it was a lot of physical work for the elders when mm-hmm. I was younger, but it also felt like their second skin. Like they didn't know anything else. It's what they did. There was not even a question in their head. And for me, it's like, yes, this is a lot of physical work, but also it's hard to even slow down, stop doing the things that we are always doing, the working, the hustling, the this, the going, 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 Mm -hmm. to slow down. Remember, oh, oh, it's March. Oh, yeah, San Giuseppe. Okay, this is, a you know, like, oh, it's springtime. This is what we do. Like, let's slow down and really think about what this meant. Like, why we we always got together and eat on March 19th. Why did we do this? And, like, how beautiful it is to remember if, like, we could put these little touchstones down, like these traditions for me to keep alive, especially these specific feast days, I think, are really important because it makes us stop and, like, remember that we're going to come together. And it doesn't have to be as elaborate as, like, for instance, my uncle, <laughs> you know, you know, it's real when like your uncle opens up the basement or the garage and then like the whole feast is there. It's like, it's, <laughs> it doesn't have to be like that. And it's, but it's just like slowing down enough to like have these conversations like with your kids and inviting some people over and saying like, this is what this feast day is about. It's not coming together. It's about, we have abundance. We're, we're eating, we can feed each other. You know, we could feed the poor. We can donate money. We can enjoy each other's company, enjoy this simple food together. I think it's really important now because we are moving so fast and so much information is coming at us. So much is going on that like those traditions, though they might be hard to implement, are like a spiritual practice in itself to kind of remember to slow slow down and enjoy life and to savor the food and to have multiple courses and to have these conversations with people and some people who might not even part of the culture, invite them over. Like this is, and like be able to share that culture with other people as well, that like there's some meaning here and there's deep meaning here. And there's probably even deeper meaning here than we even know before a saint was named this for this day, like even pre, you know, like right. this is ancient, ancient thing. This is ancient shit. I always say, I'm like, this is ancient. <laughs> <that we're doing."> okay. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be lost. It was meant to be carried. Right. <laughs> well, and that's the tool of, of using your heritage as, as a map on how to live a beautiful life. It's, it's because it is such a crazy world. It is such a busy life. And, these ancient and old customs that have been around for so long, they're just, they're there for a reason, as you just explained, and they become, they can become our touchstones. So it's not like we're just, we blink and we're on our deathbeds to be dark about it. You know, we remember, like you said, to, to live well, our ancestors knew how to live well. And most of them did not live in ideal environments. Exactly. Exactly. And it was almost because of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom always says to me, she says, I'm going to try to say it in dialect. She says, which means when you find a good day, take it. And it's very simple. She says it to me all the time. So meaning like, yeah, you're tired, but your friends are all going to have dinner together. Go, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You've, you've been going and going and going, but you scheduled everybody to come over and eat dinner at the house. You know, do it, just do it. 
when you, when you have a good day, you take it. It's pretty simple, but pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. So tell me, how'd you get started down this path? I mean, you know, I have this, okay, we get married. We're not, we're breaking daddy's heart. We're not doing this big Italian (laughs) wedding, et cetera. (laughs) I became a yoga teacher. I ate vegan, like all these things. I totally understand. I was a vegetarian for about 20 years. And my family, the dinners were always like I was being, I was in like the ring and I was the only one on my team, like, you know, fighting, like I I did the same, I totally understand all of it. So how did you kind of come back or maybe if you didn't come back, but you kind of just built up, how did you just start down this path? I think it was when I had my first daughter, to be honest, Mm. I really do. I think Mm -hmm. there was, I think it was that. Um, and I'd always kept like some spiritual practices that always resonated me, resonated with me, veneration of Madonna and using Oracle cards. Those are things that really were part of my life, you know, playing cards or the, the, the holy cards at the church. We're, we're used as mm. almost Oracle, you know, who do you need? What saint? Like, like yeah. <laughs> it's not any different, you know, it's, these are the same sort of teachings and wisdoms. And so I always kept those because I did, because they were, they were cool, right? Like that was the cool part. So, and for real, also my devotion to like the blessed mother has always been real. Like I was named after her and I liked that idea. So there was always that, like the Catholic cultural piece connected to the actual regional culture that I I didn't dismiss. Um, I just wanted to do it my way. I didn't want to do it in a traditional, I wanted to do it my way. It's very Sicilian of you, by the way. It's very Sicilian of you. (laughs) And that's what I realized too, right? I was like, oh, I wasn't really being a rebel. I was just being Sicilian. So I think it was when my kids, my daughter was born and I was like, I want to get her baptized. And like my husband, who's pretty much an atheist, Irish atheist <laughs> was like, mm. what? Mm. And I was like, I want to get her baptized. Like there was this moment where I was like, and I was like, it doesn't, it's not about the baptism. It's about, I know this will bring my family together and surrounding her. Like, I know if I did something sort of weird baptismally, they would like maybe been like, what are you even doing? Like, no, we're not even like, and yeah. so like I had this moment of what was most important to me was that tradition and that, that ritual to bring everybody together, to welcome my daughter into the world. And like, I think it was from that point on, I started being like, wait a minute, once you have kids, all of a sudden you're like, wait, oh, I want this. I want this around me. I want to keep trying to cultivating these things around me. And that, and that brought me closer and closer, but I did have like a moment. I will tell you, I had this moment and it was probably, I was in my late twenties. It might've been when I was pregnant and I was just had this moment where I knew I said, okay, I know that I'm going to be taking many, many trips to Sicily. I know I'm going to be be gathering a lot of wisdom and information there. I'm going to be learning things and I'm going to be like really, really embodying and integrating this culture back into my life at some point. Like it was just a premonition. Like I didn't know how it was going to happen. And at this point, my parents are like older and getting older and getting older. And I don't even have many elders to tap into. I don't have, I don't, all of a sudden I'm panicking too. Like, wait a minute, who's going to be doing this with me? Luckily I come from a family of seven brothers and sisters and we're all absolutely a hundred percent connected to being. Yeah. So luckily they're always, you know, we're kind of scattered around the country at this point, but like we all, I think started feeling that way. And we all were like, we're not letting this go. And so we work together, you know, to bring this about, it was, it was, it is amazing. It's, 
terrific. It's what, incredible. What, what a way to do it. I mean, that's, it's one yes. thing to do it on your own, but if you have the whole tribe around you, yes. I mean, that's the and whole point. They had more of it. So, you know, I was born in 1973. I'm number seven, but number six was born in 1963. And ah. my oldest sister was born in 1953. So they really lived it of way course. more than I did. They were together. There was six of them in this big, you know, Italian American household immersed in this community. And then 10 years later after the, I was born. So I, I had a lot less of it. So they've really been my teachers. They're the ones that are telling me all these stories that maybe I don't remember because I was two or three years old. And it's been amazing. Like having my brothers and sisters is an, is such an incredible thing. And that's, they've become my kids elders in so many ways. So that is sort of like just that knowing, having children, realizing that like, I have this family that's already very informed and I can help almost reinstigate and help inspire to continue this on together. And we, we totally do. As a matter of fact, every single one of us are in the process of getting dual citizenship right now. So all Mm. of us together, like in a joint effort. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. wonderful. I, you know, I hear Mary Beth, what you just said so often that it's usually when, when people have their first child, if yep. they were raised, you know, not just in a Southern Italian culture, but in, in any cultural household where there's very strong traditions and values based on your heritage. And when you have that, that baby, you think to yourself about, of course, your own life, right? From when you were young and you want your child to have some of that. And for most of us, you know, you mentioned how people get older, people are passing away and it's not the same environment. I have a son now. I think of these things all the time and, and I, I worry for him (laughs) that Mm -hmm. he won't have that big loud clan around him in the same way that I did. And, you know, even just doing this show, there's so much a part of me that's, you know, I'm so busy, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed. But then you, you look at this baby and you say, you know, what kind of home do I want him to grow up in? What do I want him to have as memories and understandings of how we are supposed to live? And I, I want him to have a mother who pursues her creative projects and, and brings them into our home to enrich our lives. So it really, the baby is just a Kickstarter for so many people to kind of turn back to their roots. And I I think it's wonderful. Really is. I think it's almost like the ancestors are like coming through us through our babies too, Mm. in some way, like they're messaging us. Like when this baby comes and we look in their face, we're like, oh my gosh, this is so important. This is like important. I want to talk a little bit more about your, you know, specifically about your work I don't even know where to begin. As I said in my bio, you're just wearing so many hats. I mean, they all intersect (laughs) and they all connect. You know, you do these Radici Siciliani tours that look amazing. You deal with tarot cards. You are help people write their stories. You're a writing guide. So, I mean, any of those you want to start with, you want to pick? Well, I think the writing piece is just big because that's just the storytelling is really important to me. And I do think that also is, comes from a cultural superpower of like the storytelling, right? It's a, it's, it's what elders have done forever is passed down stories. And so I, it's important for me to be somehow recording and writing 
I mean, whether it's fictional, you know, and putting, putting things in and, or whether it's personal narrative or essay or memoir, I'm actually just finished a manuscript for memoir that is really about the journey of this that we've been talking about. And some of my first trips to Sicily and what brought me to want to re-embrace, really re-embrace and reclaim, reclaim that culture. And I think that that like a lot of this has been a book. The book has been written, being written for like five years or six years. So it's been a long time. And within that, so many practices sort of came from it and so many understandings sort of were born from writing that. And I started teaching classes or leading workshops. They were called Blood and Belonging. And it was helping other people to sort of tap into their own ancestral stories. It didn't matter what culture people were from, like any culture, like to help them remember the stories, the stories of the land, the stories of the food, the stories of their spirituality, to be able to express some of the grief of a lot of loss. Some people have some really deep cultural loss. And so that was really powerful, you know? So then I was like, okay, what's the, you know, the next thing I want to do is like, I want to, I want people to feel what I felt when I was in Sicily. I want them to, you know, cause you know how people get, there's some bad raps around Southern Italian. Sure. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of generalizations. I, I mean, even my own father would sometimes talk down on himself for being Sicilian. It breaks my heart, you know, breaks Mm -hmm. my heart because I know that's how he he was told when he was a child. And so, so much of that healing of being able to go back there and being able to say to my father, you know, dad, remember you're one from one of the most beautiful places in, in the world. And the people are not thieves. They're not crooks. They're welcoming. They're, they give you, they feed you and they want to get to know you. And so that kind of led me into like inviting other people to come and experience some of these powerful, just cultural communities on Sicily. And the, the tarot, like I said, is just like, this is my second language. Cause I have had that with me my whole life. And so, and when I really realized, like when I had this epiphany that it was ancestral, like tarot is ancestral to Italy. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I know we've got many paths all over, but like, if you ask Italians or Sicilians, like, they're like, oh no, it started here, honey. Like that started on this, it started here. And I think there's different like stories about how it got there, whether it was through Scopa or whatever. It is an ancestral practice. And one of the really interesting things is that when I, when I went there, I kind of was like, oh gosh, these people are so Catholic. They're going to think I'm like some crazy witch with these tarot cards. I don't want that. Like, cause I don't, that's not really who I am. Like I'm them, I'm everything. And, and then all of a sudden, like somebody got wind that I had cards. And the next thing you know, I had people like knocking down my door, like elders knocking on my door with their cards. And they were like, oh, let's read the cards together. Like, awesome. I was like, what's happening? You know, like there's like a lady with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth with a basket and a kofa in her hand full of tarot cards. And she's like with a bottle of wine. And, and we are sitting down oh. and we're reading cards and then like more and more people. Yes. And I was like, oh, this, is what, my the, this is what the women are doing here. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when you when you really start to, to get into it, and if you know a thing or two about Southern Italian culture, the church, the actual church edifice, the hierarchy is not necessarily the most important focus of the Catholicism. We're kind of rebels in this sense as well. Mm-hmm. 
and we we kind of do Catholicism in our own way, <laughs> mm-hmm. as we were saying before. It's kind of the old way. They were really resilient people. They yeah. took it. They they honor it. I mean, they would totally consider themselves Catholic, and I would too. I'd consider myself considered myself Catholic growing up, but it was different. It was a very different kind of Catholic than what I have noticed any, you know, in other, in other realms of Catholicism. And when I went to Sicily, I was affirmed by that. Like mm-hmm. it's a very cultural thing. And these women are still making, you know, the water of St. John, San Giovanni water on the eve of St. You know, of St. John's Eve. And they're still reading the cards and they're still the altars. These are very pagan types of things to be doing. And I, what I feel it as is it's a resilience of the old ways that no matter what their faith, their faith in spirit and their faith in God has just passed through and they don't care what the names are. They don't really care what the system is. They're just going to stay doing what they do. And what's amazing is use the word resilience and before you mentioned that even when you were younger and kind of wanting to cast off the yoke of this Southern Italianist, you always had this attraction to La Madonna and the cards and this kind of spirituality. And I would say that I had the exact same experience and that resilience is so deep that even all these generations later, two young modern American girls for, you know, all intents and purposes, right. In New York state mm-hmm. still feel a call to that type of worship. Yes. I have chills all over my body. <laughs> <laughs> it's really deep. It's, it's deep in really us. Really deep in us. And that is like, and that's it. And I was like, this is my life. Like I can yeah. do whatever else I need to do, but this is truly my life. This is, this is how mm. I want to live my life. Yep. And share it with people. Have you learned to read cards from like old women in Sicily? Yes. Oh my God. I'm uh, so jealous. Yes. Yes. And just by being read to really and seeing how they were doing it. And well, there's a major language barrier because I don't speak Sicilian okay. and my, my Italian is bad. I mean, that was a, that was a language cut from our tongues. We were, yeah. my, my dad wasn't allowed to even speak it in parochial mm-hmm. school. Is an act of uh, self-violence. Yep. I always think it really was. It was a sin on our culture. It's such a sin on our culture. And I also feel like I'm actually actively in Italian classes and studying. And I feel like I was telling my sister, because we're both taking it together, taking a class together. And she's like, oh, this is going to be hard. And I was like, you know what? It isn't. It's we're one, we're literally one generation removed and not completely, not completely like Right. We're barely, it's living, it lives in us. It's in our cellular memory. This language is in our cellular memory. It's, it's going to flow through us. We're going to hit it and it's going to be amazing. So some of the language stuff in Sicily was interesting. I mean, I had friends that were able to translate some things, but a lot of how she was teaching this one woman, Anna, who is like my main, like she's my Oracle there. She was speaking, she was reading in a lot of parable, like a Sicilian parable. Like we're, if there's no translation for it, So I was even having to like lean in and feel like, okay, what are you doing? Like, how are you reading this? And what is coming through for you? And the way she read was totally completely different than how like I would do it here in the States, which was amazing. It was almost Mm. like half the deck was just like all over the place. Like it was like, she was telling me a story about something about myself and Mm. the story was coming in the order of the cards. And 
the pieces that I was able to understand and that, um, this isn't our, the first time she, we, she read for me and the pieces that I w- was able to understand and what people were able to help me translate, it was mind blowing. I mean, it wasn't like mind blowing what was happening. And so we're working with her and a couple other people actually this, so doing trips in, in May and in June, and it's all going to be, it's going to be tarot saturated. Like, really, I realized I have to honor this. Yeah. At first. So like, I really was kind of at first like, Oh, I want to, I want to partner with somebody there and we'll do tours of Sicily. We'll just make it really real. We're going to make it real. We're going to make it like from the inside out and like cultural. And then, um, which it is. And then I was like, but I was like hesitant to like really make it like the magical, like I was hesitant to sort of like bring that piece in heavily for some reason, like, oh, there won't be so many people that want to do that. Or Mm. maybe some people will think it's weird or they won't get it. And they just want to experience Sicily or, but I'm realizing the more I do this, the more the ancestral healing, the, the tarot, the plants, the folk magic, is really the foundation of all of these gatherings and it has to be. So we're going to be being led by the tarot. Our teachers there are going to be coming like with us numerous days to like be with us with the cards, kind of like guiding us and leading us through because they're always like, look at the cards. Like, how do you know, read the card? Like, what do you know what to do? Read the cards. You know, it's like, they're always leaning into some kind of oracle to help guide them. Like, what's the coffee grounds look like at the bottom right. of the cup? Or, yep. you know, my mom would even be like, oh, the picture's a little slanted on the wall. That must mean blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what Right, everything about? had meaning. Yes, of everything course. Everything had a little bit of meaning. So I'm really having that be an important part of these gatherings, which, you know, might mean that some people would be like, oh, that's not what I'm interested in, Sicily. And that's totally fine. And we're, we still are doing all the, like, the food and the cheese making and the bat, all of the things that are ancestral arts there. But I, I feel like, I feel like the calling to make it really spiritual. I can't ignore that. That has to be at least it's when you get there, it is, but I think it's at least in the like, quote unquote, like marketing and talking about it. I was a little hesitant to do that for lots of reasons. And it's that kind of fear, you know, like a fear to being seen and what your culture really is about. And also the Americanization of that culture at this point, sometimes might not understand that's actually what it's about. And so there's that part of me that was just a little like, oh, but now I'm like, you know what? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think you'll, I think you'll get a lot of takers for that because I mean, the, again, the reason this show came into being is because the more I saw myself dipping into those waters and going in that direction, the mm-hmm. more I saw that there was a real need for it and a desire in listeners to hear more about it. People they're just yearning for it. And I don't know if honestly it's everywhere in the world, but I, I think here in America where so many of us, of course, there's always new immigrants coming in, but so many of us from the last huge rush mm-hmm. are so many generations removed. There's now this looking back at what our reassessment of, you know, what am I? Mm-hmm. Where do I come from? Am I, I have to be more than this, this, this idea that you're kind of just made out of nothing, right? In America, you're self-made, mm-hmm. you just kind of pop up out of the air and you just go where you have to go and you don't worry about anybody else. But there's this sense that that's maybe that's not really what living is about mm-hmm. and people feel that. So I, I think that this call that you're feeling is probably directly aligned to what a lot of other people are feeling as well. I think so too. And I think Mm -hmm. that especially people who have 
maybe tried other types of spirituality, right? Like, oh, like yogic or Native American, like all these different types of spirituality around them that were like even maybe more accessible to sort of take on. And having that realization, like even for myself, like the how it resonates with you when you look at your own lineage. Oh, wait, we have this really deep magical spiritual experience in our own blood? Oh, we do, you know, and to awaken that. Because I think that, I think that, that it's like everything else that was really lost just because it resonates so deeply with you and I, our whole lives doesn't necessarily mean it was felt, it was felt for a lot of people. Like, I think it, it might need to get reawakened a little bit, you know, like to trust into it, that our, that our blood, that our lineage really has some very, very powerful and meaningful. And I think necessary for the world we live in right now, because saying this like world that is disconnected to spirituality and to land and to magic, you know, so much because we're so busy and we're so trying to get everything. We're trying to survive, you know, we're trying to survive and I understand it, but to have like your own ancestral spiritual practices in your tool bag, in your basket to like pull out when you need is some powerful medicine. I could not agree with you more. I could really could not agree with you more. And I, I, there is a streak in me that is, has always kind of been a little bit of like the rebel against the rebels. (laughs) If if anything's like a little, you know, there's always this like streak of people who are like, Oh, I'm going against the grain. I'm like, okay, I'm going against that. Uh, because <laughs> oh my god, it's so much alike. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I, I knew that's why I knew you'd be a great first guest for this show. You know, so for me, I noticed as the time period I was growing up in, it was really very acceptable to, let's say, to make it simple, right? To be into Buddha, but not yeah. Jesus. So Buddha cool, Jesus not cool. Yoga cool, praying the rosary not cool. So for me. Finally, navigating all of this, it was very empowering for me to kind of say, well, those things belong to me by birthright. And those feel more comfortable to me. So as much as I might appreciate the beauty in Buddhist traditions, it never sat well with me because it felt like it wasn't mine. Yeah, same. And I tried. And then, yeah, all of right. sudden, and then all of a sudden that Hail Mary came in. I was like, that is, I could, what is that I, doing there? <laughs> it is like, it is like the second, you don't even have to think about it. I don't have mm-hmm. to think about the rosary mm-hmm. yep. Can keep that in my pocket. And every once in a while, I put my hand in my pocket and feel a bead and say Hail Mary and be like, Oh, I didn't even have to think about it. It's so, you know, the rosary practice has been really powerful for me lately. So I'm glad you mentioned that. It's so beautiful. Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's this practice that has, has been kind of like misaligned to something that is empty or, you know, for old women who are like on their way out of this world, you know, it, it, but it really is, I don't know. I kind of, the way Catholicism is so wrapped up in our culture, I can't help but almost think it's another one of those sins against our culture. Does that make sense? Like to misalign those practices as if absolutely right. As if only yoga or Buddhist meditation are worthy of being practiced or or respected. 
Yeah, exactly. It is. It's one of the great sins. It's one of the lies. I've been talking to a friend about, there's like a lot of lies about our culture that either we told ourselves or we heard, or I don't know how it's happened, right? Where it's made us kind of reject for whatever reason. And it's like, I like that you call it the sin. I think almost a sin is better than the word lie. Cause it's like, who knows how it arose, mm. but we need to I don't want to use the word repent for those sins, but like, you know what I mean? Heal them, yeah. heal those Heal them. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think there's so many cultures where people can do that. And there's something so empowering about finding your way, right? Your way to do this worship that really is in your blood and in your DNA and in your, you know, unconscious, unconscious. Yeah. One of the things that I've been finding too, people reach out to me, just seeing kind of the work I'm doing in the world. And they reach out to me a lot and they're like, can you help me? Like, can you help me find ways that I can reclaim this sort of mystic Catholicism and, you know, this Southern Italian spirituality without it feeling patriarchal or, you know, I'm like, it's not, it's actually it's actually of the mother, you know, or there these where it doesn't feel so weird or wrong or because of whatever has the stories around. And it's like, that brings me so much joy too, to be able to like, be able to like kind of handhold people through bringing back these really magical practices that resonate with them. And to know that like their great, great grandma or their great, great, great grandma were uttering the same prayers. Mm. Mm Hmm somewhere else on some other beautiful land, praying for them, they, who didn't even exist yet. And that is like, to me, where I just get my mind blown. I'm like, I always say we're the spells of our ancestors. It's like our ancestors prayed and, and honored and worshiped and laid offerings at the altar for us right now to stay close to them and to our spirituality, I believe. And to not lose what we have. So I have to honor that. I have to think of that really, really deeply. I take it really seriously. Yeah. Well, what are some ways that you tell people, you know, when people come to you and they ask you those things, I know you take on clients. It's it's probably a longer process, but what are just some kind of fast and dirty tips you have of how people can start that journey if they're interested? (laughs) Well, I do start like with the rosary. It's like, if you are, if that culturally like, you know, Catholic and Southern Italian, like starting with the rosary is a really easy way to do it. And if like some people get triggered by some of the wording because of the, that Jesus not cool piece, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus our not father cool. not I cool like piece. That. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I have no problem with it. I like, yeah, honestly, it does not give me any, it doesn't, doesn't, but for them, something happened or they were, you know, who knows what the situation is for I try to meet people where they're at and I'm like, well, just change the word a little bit. Just change it. It's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay. You're praying to our mother. So let's make those words feel good to you because the important part is for you to be reciting this prayer. And then the cards too. tarot. I mentor people in tarot and I let, say to them, this is an ancestral practice of yours. Like we had little Zia's gathering all of the church cards and like the church cards would be like, Oh, you need some support. Oh, it's so-and-so going to get divorced or whatever. And like, it would be like the church card would be read and it'd be like, Oh, St. Anthony, no, you just need to find something in yourself. Like there were beautiful oracles, these, you know, so it's like take the cards and utilize the cards. And another big thing, because I'm a writer is the storytelling. Let's retell these stories in a way like how you and I are talking Dolores, like, where we're telling these stories in our, you know, that are like, they're powerful, they're healing, 
their ancestral. And so helping people reframe all of the, the resilient pieces that still live in them, helping like giving them prompts. So they're able to write through what they've lost so they can kind of write through the grief, they can write through the loss, and then they can come to these places where they're able to have feel some belonging to their culture again. And then I, I do a lot of like somatic work, which is sort of, ner- this is a whole longer, like a longer piece, but I do some like somatic work. So it's like nervous system regulation, like really getting, so in my, a lot of my belief system is that when our ancestors die, they not only become like spiritual guides for us, but we have their DNA in our bodies. So they're alive inside our bodies. Like I really believe like the study of epigenetics that is coming out more frequently and they're doing more and more research around it is that epigenetics is that we not only have DNA, like hereditary similarities to our ancestors, like the color of our eyes or the color of our skin, but in epigenetics, we also carry their experiences with us. So that's why there's been, you know, intergenerational trauma. Your great grandma starved on a land. You're going to have that experience still being held within you. Uh, Your great, great grandma was an amazing healer who was able to cleanse, you know, the, do the malokia and cleanse. You still have that in you. You know, like we have these experiences of who our people were, um, surrounding our cell. Like literally that is a scientific study. It's so they've studied trauma, but they haven't really studied resilience. Mm. So I'm like, well, if we can carry the trauma, we also carry the resilience. We also carry the magic. We also carry the bravery, the adventure, the, you know, the amazingness, those pieces. And so because I was a, a yoga teacher for many years and I, I don't teach yoga anymore, I've learned some practices that kind of like will get people in their bodies and recognize that they are the like the expression of their ancestors too. And so they can kind of take that on however they want. Maybe it's just beginning with food. What is something that your family or your nona like to cook that really brings back delicious memories that maybe has been missing from your life right now. There's a lot of people like there's no Italian left in in my life right now, even though their great grandma maybe was a, was an immigrant here. So it's like, what was one piece of food that you remember? Just start there, start in your kitchen and start cooking food and feeding your body. And as you feed your body, you're really feeding the altar of your ancestor as well, because their experiences are within you. Their prayers are within you. So it's like that food piece is something that's really easy. Some of the more esoteric stuff can get hard, or even some of the more quote unquote religious stuff can be a little triggering, but like the food begin there. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's great uh, piece of advice. It's in that, and that really could be for any culture. I mean, every, every culture has every culture, exactly. food ways that are, that are old and ancient and, and travel through the generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so much to learn in them when you start doing the research. And, you know, I remember learning that so many of the dishes we grew up eating were that we loved, right. were just very poor dishes. They, and they tell you so much about your, where you come from. They're what we could eat. They're what people had and that they made such deliciousness out of the little bit that they had also reveals something about the people you come from. Mm -hmm. And they were meaningful because it was seasonal, first of all, obviously, right? It was like, you weren't going to eat Monzana in, in December right. unless it was like jarred or something, but exactly, fresh. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think some of like 
when you think of fava, fava in Sicily, at least, is a really, it's symbolic. Fava meant that they had food. That was, the story is that they were given three fava a day by the landowners who took over the land in Sicily, where they were indentured on the land. They were given three fava a day. And then I always grew up with the saying, uh, you say beans, but we say fava. Like, mm. it's so important. You say mm. beans, we don't call it beans. We call it fava because it's kept us alive. The fava mm. kept us alive. So when you eat that, it's like there's these deep meanings in these foods we don't even think about, but meant something. Mm, I like that. And that is a good first step because there's a lot of information, too, out there about different types of food, right? Yeah. Different types of cultural food. It might be a little harder to find out how your the women in your culture read tarot cards. Maybe that's very, a little harder. Very hard to find out. It's almost like you have to go there and find them because yeah. I don't, it's not anywhere out there on the internets, basically. It's not. And I'm actually, when we're off mic, want to talk to you more about that. Yeah. Because (laughs) I I have been attracted to Tara also for decades and gone in and out of uh, reading cards, but I actually don't know anybody who reads cards. And I talked to my mom about it and she, she doesn't know either. Like her, I don't, I'm not really surrounded with that dream interpretation very strong, the women I know and was raised with. And that's a huge part of what I do as well. But um, tarot cards, not as much. So I, I want to talk to you about it. <laughs> and maybe we'll do another show down the line where we focus. Let's do um, another Droobs all on cards and dreams. Yeah, that would be <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Just some of our favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> So Mary Beth, as we wrap up here, I mean, we definitely have not even, I feel like scratched the surface of a lot of the work you're doing, but where can people find you if they want to work with you? And also just tell me a little bit more about your Radici tours that you're doing. Sure. So they can find me with my name. My Mary Beth Bonfilio is website and Radici Siciliana is also a website.com. Those are both out there. And the tours are, I call them radical togetherness. (laughs) Like that's the word I keep using is radical togetherness. And when they're 10 days and we are home-based in the Modenia Mountains, which is the heart of Sicily's or where I found some of the most beautiful, amazing, open people. One of my best friends lives there, is multi-generational from there. And it's not not my ancestral villages, which is really interesting, but I found out it's at one point it was kind of part of that territory. So it made sense. My my Bisnono may have actually worked the land in those mountains. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When I found that out, I was kind of like, oh, this is why I've landed here. But it's also yep. because it's incredibly beautiful. I mean, you're high in the mountains and Chefalu is right at the bottom of one side. So the coast is right there. And it's just gorgeous panoramic views in these villages on top of these mountains. And we, we root in community there. So a lot of the work we do is we learn about like making things like cheese and baskets. And if it's the season, the salsa, cannoli, different kinds of things that are happening seasonally. We work with locals who have been doing it, have been passed on these I call them ancestral arts. Like we did spigas and spigas were these, are these beautiful wheat wands that they do to honor Mary and August, uh, Fergusta. And it's like, but it's like a wheat wand. It's like really to honor the grain mother. And so we learned how to make these to put on our altars and we do really just cool things like that. We're going to do a traditional workshop in the Tarantella 
um, singing and dancing with somebody who's been doing it and teaching in their family for generations there. So we do a lot of that. And then every day we also are going to incorporate like ritual circle with the cards and doing ancestral, I call it ancestral integration work where we just like kind of prepare our bodies to be exploring these areas in Sicily and working with these people all day so that we're being intentional about it. We're not just like running around Sicily and taking in all the, you know, everything. We're actually really, really diving deeply together and learning things and learning really interesting things that you can take back home. Everything you learn, you're being kind of instructed around so that you can come home and make a simple cheese. You can come home and start practicing with your local plant, ivy, or even nettle kind of thing. You can weave baskets with it and learning more about some of the spiritual practices that you can take home with you as well. But we always do Etna. We do Etna first because we go to the volcano mother and just say thank you. Um, and we go up there and we explore the volcano. And then we always have like down days at the sea, of course. And we eat more than you think you're able to eat. Um, somehow <laughs> and you're it's still, probably all amazing. It's amazing mm-hmm. seasonal food straight from literally the land. And they're just, they're incredible. Like as my, my partner, Manu in Sicilia says, it's from the inside out. We do things from the inside out. And it's like, that's what it is. <laughs> inside out. I like that. It's, How yeah, long are the trips for? Are they a week? They're two weeks? Ten, they're 10 days. So they're 10, 10 days. days. Uh, the June trip, which we have really primarily focused on folk magic and herbalism, which is going to be really great. That one is sold out. Um, and then the two in May, there's a few seats in May left in both of the two in May. And those are going to be a little bit more community-based and a little, not traditional, but it's not going to be plant-focused. It's not going to be herbalism focused. So it's going to be more like making things, eating things, exploring places and doing a lot of the, the tarot and magical work we woven every day within it, but it won't be plant-based. The, the, the June one was really special and it, it sold out like almost immediately. So yeah, that, that sounds cool. terrific. You're going to have to do some more of those. I know I have to do some more of those, but there is some spots open in May. Terrific. Well, we, I, we, I keep saying we, because I'm so used to doing the show with Anthony and then the Italian American podcast with everybody else, but this one I'm flying solo. So I got to get used to it. (laughs) I will link to your website, et cetera, in the show notes so that people can um, easily find it. And also your social media where you, you put out a lot of great information on your social media um, Mm -hmm. channels as well. So people really need to find you there. Mary Beth, I want to thank you so much for coming on the very first episode of Bella Figura. I really appreciate it. And I, I knew we'd have a great conversation and I, I know it's the first of many. Yeah, I know. I'm really honored. I feel like just lit up inside to be talking to you. You're incredible work, doing incredible work. So thank you oh, shucks, for having right me. Right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> so I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I have a hunch that you probably did. There's a lot of great stuff in it. And I want to thank you for joining me for this first episode of Bella Figura. And I, of course, hope that you'll join me for all the episodes that are to come. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, but just by clicking that big old subscribe button on your phone um, from whatever app you're listening to this on. Uh, that way you will never miss an episode. And uh, sh- please share it with your friends, share on social. I mean, that is the best way, word of mouth. There's nothing better 
to, you know, bringing other people into the conversation and getting these terrific guests and this terrific material out to others. You can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. And of course that's linked, linked to my profile in the show notes. And you can also sign up for the Bella Figura newsletter by visiting the show's website at bellafigurapodcast.com. That's B-E-L-L-A-F-I-G-U-R-A podcast.com. And do me a favor, DM me or email me at Dolores at bellafigurapodcast.com with your thoughts and uh, any show ideas you'd like me to pursue. I really want this to be a conversation between me and you and me and you and everyone else who's listening. So thanks again for spending this time with me and me and Mary Beth. Please be safe. Take care of yourself. Lots of love.